Corporate Unplugged opens the door to a world of people transforming business. They share their dreams, their experiences, and what they would never give up. I'm so glad to have Tiffany Dufu here with me from New York. Welcome to my podcast, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. And Tiffany Dufu is uh, the founder and CEO of The Crew, a peer coaching service for women looking to accelerate their professional and also personal growth. And she's also the author of the best-selling book, Drop the Ball. So Tiffany, your life's work is really investing in women and, and girls. And why is that? Why is this driving you? Well, that's, um, you know, a story really about my past um, and my experience. My mom found out that she was pregnant with me when she was 19 years old. My parents are from Watts in Los Angeles. Even if folks aren't familiar with Watts, suffice it to say, it was a rough place and it was a rough time during the 1970s in inner city LA. And she didn't know anything other than the environment that she grew up in, but she knew that there had to be something else. And she happened to have an uncle who was an army recruiter. And between my mom and the uncle, they convinced my father to join the army and to move. Uh, and so I was born nine months later at Fort Lewis Army Base in Tacoma, Washington, which is how I came to hail from the Pacific Northwest. 16 years later, my parents divorced. And the same guy that had to kick a heroin addiction to even be able to pass the physical exam to get into the military, by that time had eventually gone to college on the GI bill. He had earned a PhD in theology. I literally was growing up in a house with a white picket fence around it. Um, when my parents divorced, though, I discovered that all of the economic and social and political capital that I thought was our families actually only belonged to our dad because he was the one who had gone to college, who had sought higher education, who worked outside of the home, who had won the awards, who was the beacon in the community. And I saw how dramatically my parents' lives differed after the divorce. And it really caused me to think critically about the decisions that women make in their lives and about how we make the choices that we do. And unfortunately, the very vicious cycle of poverty and addiction and violence that my parents had escaped many years ago in moving from Watts, uh, my mom propelled back into those cycles and I couldn't save her. And so I probably get to every woman every day to try to just inspire them and help them to understand that you're the most powerful change agent in your own journey. And it really is a gift and a tribute to my mom. Wow. I mean, it's, it's typically it is like that, that you have a kind of a deep driver within you in order to persist, because also to build something new, which you've done over and over again, and, and so on, and be so dedicated, committed, requires a lot of energy and dedication and, and grit. And that typically comes from a deeper place. I think that's my experience. Oh, absolutely. Deep down, we, I guess we all know that we have our own power to create the change we seek somehow. But still, it's very, even if you know that, it's always difficult. What is the way to still persist and, 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 and you know, jump on the wagon, you know, and, and, and understand your purpose? What advice would you give to others? Well, I had an enormous privilege in that 
when I was growing up every day, my mom in particular would tell me, Tiffany, you're so smart. You're so loved. You're so beautiful. In fact, by the time I was a teenager, I found it very annoying um, that she used to tell me this every day. But I say that that was probably the greatest privilege that I had because that served as armor for me in terms of my own psychology and having any feeling around inadequacy or not being able to do something. I always had these affirmations to draw on deep down inside. And so I always tell people it's never too late for you to parent your own self. (laughs) And I encourage women to adopt these. I also think it's incredibly important that we surround ourselves with people that really want to help us advance and want to help us be our higher selves and strategically engage them in that process. Hmm. Which is also what you've created with the, the crew, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I founded the crew because I know that I'm the cumulative investment of a lot of people. Yes, I work hard, but the secret to my success is that I've got a group of women that retweet my ideas and buy my books and let me, you know, cry and get snot on their clothes and who hold me accountable and make introductions for me. And I'm so inspired and appreciative of what they've done for me that I believe every woman deserves a crew and every woman should have a crew. And that's why I founded the company. Hmm. And what's your next step with the crew? Well, right now we have matched the first 100 women. So the way that the crew works is that you apply to become a member and we take the data around your personality, your values, your demographics, your goals, and we match you with nine women in your city. The 10 of you become a crew and you collaborate in order to ensure that you all thrive and meet your life goals. So we've gone through the process of matching the first 100 women. We have about 500 right now on the waiting list. And I'm in the process of raising you know, my pre-seed round to scale so that we can get more women off of the wait list and really do more to get more women matched. Wow. You are also the the author of the Drop the Ball. And it's really as far as I I haven't read it yet, but I understand that it is really sharing your personal story, actually not a typical how to do book rather than like sharing your story and then people pick whatever advice you give there, right? Oh, sure. Why did you write it? What drove you to do that? Oh, (laughs) well, I'm obsessed with getting more women into leadership. And I do a lot of public speaking. And a number of years ago, it was actually the year that Lean In was launched. I was on the launch team for Lean In. And I just started to make this observation that every time I went to speak to a group of, you know, 200, 300 women at some conference or event, and I spoke largely about the collective solutions to the women's leadership conundrum. You know, how do we get more women into leadership? I talked a lot about things like equal pay for equal work, affordable childcare, you know, all of the corporate policies and public policies that I felt were important in order to get women into the highest levels of leadership. But I noticed that whenever I stopped talking and I opened it up for the Q&A, the first set of questions that I would always get were personal questions that to me had nothing to do with what I had just spoken about. <laughs> you know, so a woman would raise her hand and she would say, yes, Tiffany. So, you know, I've been sitting here the whole time and I see that, you know, your life's work is advancing women and girls. You seem to be very passionate. I think you mentioned your husband who's in Dubai right now, but you 
have two kids and you live in New York, but you're in San Francisco with us right now. And I like your dress and your shoes and you just seem happy (laughs) and healthy. And I'm just kind of wondering like, what the hell? How are you doing all of this? How do you manage it all? Which is one of the most popular questions that quote unquote successful women get. And I decided that one day when I had what I call a Tiffany's epiphany, that I used to be annoyed by the question because I thought, well, men never get this question. But it really hit me that women are not asking the question because they care so much about the details of my personal life that I don't want to disclose to them. They're asking me, how do you manage it all? Because they're sitting there in their seats wondering, how am I going to manage it all? And if my life's work really, truly was advancing women and girls, I felt that I owed women a better answer to that question than the one-liner that I had come up with, which was this little funny line about how I expect way less for myself and way more for my husband than the average woman, and that women wouldn't believe you know, my experience unless I actually wrote it in a book. And I happen to be obsessed with books. So it was an easy conversion of, um, you know, my own experience with learning really how to let go and how to be the kind of person that was motivated, but also really prepared and had the resources that I need to pursue my passion and purpose. So I just felt like a book was the best avenue to answer that question honestly and vulnerably. Mm. Was it difficult to then uh, not only write it, but also launch it, the process of reaching out through the book? Well, I would say it was difficult in the sense that I'd never published a book before. You know, I bought lots of books and read lots of books, but I didn't know anything about the publishing industry. So I needed to do what I always do when I'm trying to do something I've never done before, which is try to find people in the industry who have done it before and who have done it really well. So, you know, I reached out and through my network, you know, found an agent and eventually sold the book and found an editor and a publisher and all of that and and relied on people who knew what they were doing to really guide me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned also lean in and uh, what about Sheryl Sandberg? Did you what did you learn from uh, the conversations and uh, cooperation with her? I was a big proponent and still am of lean in in large part because if you're someone who is a practitioner of the work, in other words, if you spend a lot of time with women, listening to them and really understanding what their stories are, what their challenges are, it's very clear that women have been socially conditioned to dampen their own light (laughs) in order to make room for others. And I think that the message that got lost in Lean In was this idea that we were never meant to lean in alone you know, that all of us need scaffolding and all of us need support so that when we do lean in, we know that we're not going to fall into some abyss, <laughs> but that there are other people lifting us up and holding us up. And that's certainly the concept of the crew and why I think every woman should have one. Wonderful. And so I'll wait for the crew to be uh, present also in Stockholm and Milan then to join in. I'll, I'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Don't worry. <laughs> Okay. And I also read uh, just one of your recent, uh, I think, tweets uh, was uh, saying something like, or it was a quote, I think, like, our intentions create our realities. Do you have like an example of this from your life? 
Oh, absolutely. Intentions are very important in the crew. Uh, in fact, that's what we call goals. What a lot of people call goals is what we call intentions. And it actually came from the women that we interviewed. We interviewed, gosh, over 500 women. And when we asked them, what do you most hope to receive from a crew? The number one response to that answer was intentionality. And, you know, I think that it's because so many of us go through life just kind of checking off the box. You know, we get up, we might take people to school, we might get ourselves ready, prepare for meetings. We're going through in a habitual way as opposed to an intentional way. And I certainly have tried to be intentional, but really have worked to manifest what I think is really important. And a good example of intentionality is that uh, several years ago, I had the biggest transition of my professional career. I had to close a national nonprofit that I was running, and it was very devastating. And one of my mentors said, you know, Tiffany, you really need to take a step back. Because even though you're having to close this organization, your passion for advancing women and girls can't be shuttered. You know, that can't be closed. And you really need to think strategically about how you're going to continue to execute on that purpose. And she recommended that I take myself through a similar branding exercise that I had actually taken the organization through the year previously, which I did. And so I brought together a group of people. I actually hired a consultant who conducted interviews with different stakeholders in my life, people who had known me in different parts of my life. And, you know, we really came up with not just this kind of brand promise around advancing women and girls, but a bit of a plan. And I have to admit to you, you that in 2013, when I began to execute this plan, I didn't even have faith in parts of it. I thought in 2013, you know, the idea of me publishing a book was kind of far-fetched and ridiculous. I mean, I, I was an English major, but to publish a book, and yet here we are in 2019 with me having published a best-selling book. So, you know, I think that Certainly having clarity about what matters most to you is important. Um, having a plan is important. But I think the most important piece of manifestation is engaging other people in your life to help you achieve your goals and your dreams. And I know that you are um, a speaker on many, many key events uh, all over the world and so on. But I assume that they would typically ask you to speak about something connected to women, leadership, etc. But is there anything that you are having some kind of, you know, hidden dreams about, you know, I would really like to talk about this, actually, or change a path and come from another angle? Do you have any thoughts around that? No, absolutely not. My job is not to say what I want to say. My job is to say what women need to hear in order for them to create lives they're passionate about. In fact, when I speak, I rarely even prepare too far in advance what I want to say, because if I prepare some big fancy speech and memorize it, then I won't have the bandwidth to be able to connect with the audience and really be in tune with what the messages that will spark innovation or change or just a mindset shift for them. So no, I know why I'm on the planet. I have clarity about what my tombstone says. I'm just kind of project managing my life backwards. And um, whatever women need to hear from me is what I will say. Mm. So what would you say is your passion? You know, it comes from this Latin word, uh, patira, which means really that you're suffering, you're willing to suffer for it. It's that important to you. 
I think that giving back to community is really important. I mean, I've chosen this passion around advancing women and girls, but, um, you know, my parents taught me that whatever community you're a part of isn't just for you to receive from that community. It's your responsibility to contribute, to give to that community. I think it's really important given where my parents came from. I mean, my dad was born in a housing project in Watts, LA. He's one of 11 kids. Um, And when I think about the journey that my parents have taken to get to me where I am, I feel enormous responsibility to carry the path forward. I feel incredibly passionate about leveraging my gifts, my talents, my skills, and my abilities to advance society, to advance the world, to advance my people, and to advance women. Do you do something uh, in education as well in terms of, you know, reaching out to younger women or younger girls in the education system to go via that path as well? Part of my journey involves education. I was on the founding team of a startup called Seattle Girls School. It's an amazing middle school in Seattle that focuses on math, science, and technology. And I'm really proud to have been a part of that initial founding team. I then went to work in Boston at Simmons College, which is now Simmons University. And I now serve on the board of Simmons University. So, you know, I care deeply about college students and young women and making sure that they have what they need to kind of develop into conscious citizens and to be prepared for the world. I volunteered for the Board of Girl Scouts USA. I'm a very loyal lifetime Girl Scout. Uh, My daughter is a Girl Scout, so I'm very engaged with that organization. And I'm also on the Board of Girls Who Code, um, which is all about closing the gap in STEM for women globally. Um, And in fact, the Girls Who Code has just expanded um, outside of the U.S. So I care deeply about trying to promote and advance organizations that are focused on girls earlier, women earlier in the pipeline when they are girls and helping them to establish themselves before they get into the workforce. Absolutely. Great. We all have these, let's call it, transformational points in your life. What are those for you that have influenced you the most so far? Well, I've already spoken about two of them. Um, One, certainly my parents' divorce and the realizations around that. Um, The second definitely being um, closing the White House project and really learning a lot of leadership lessons. I think that another big one for me was going to work for a company called Levo. Uh, In 2013, after I closed the White House project, I went to work for a startup. It was kind of like the LinkedIn for millennial women. It was all about trying to elevate them in their careers. And it was a company that was founded by millennials and run by millennials. And it was the biggest culture shift that I've ever had to make professionally because I had always worked for baby boomers or members of the silent generation in much more traditional organizations. So it literally took me three weeks to get up the courage to ask at Levo, is there a phone here? (laughs) To which the receptionist, by the way, who in my other companies had always answered the phone said, do you mean a landline? As if I had asked for Moses's tablet. (laughs) I said, yes. She's like, no, we don't have those. But I learned a lot from millennials about really how to redefine what a career is. I used to think that a career was investing all of your gifts, talents, skills, abilities into one brand or company or organization, kind of sweat, blood and tears 24-7. You negotiate a salary, 
and a title. And once you achieve a certain set of deliverables, you ask for a bigger title, you know, and a bigger salary. And then you keep doing that. Maybe at some point you might move to a different brand or company or organization. And then eventually you retire. That's what I thought a career was. But working with millennials, it was very clear that they had redefined what a career is and that at Lavo, I was encouraged to invest my gifts, talents, skills, and abilities in whatever way was going to, yes, achieve results for the company, but also in whatever way was going to help secure my financial freedom. You know, we were encouraged to have side hustles in whatever way was going to amplify my brand. You know, there was a big component of you making sure that you're elevating yourself so that the entire company is lifted up. I was encouraged to invest my skills and my talents in whatever way would help me to create change in the world because it isn't just about your career, it's about your ability to create impact. And so I, I really established in a lot of ways what I would call a portfolio career at I grew my public speaking practice. I ended up writing the book. I did work for the company, but I really feel like I was able to focus more on why am I here and how can I deploy myself in a way that will help me to achieve this larger purpose and goal of creating a world where women's voices can really be harnessed for the benefit of all of us. And I really thank them for that. It's a big, big change in my career and probably the last, you know, flagship point is right now with the crew because starting a B2C consumer focused company from scratch is a daunting task and a leadership task that has required me to make more decisions faster with the least amount of information that I ever have in my career. It's been a huge learning learning opportunity. And when you say leaders, how, what is a leader actually today? Well, my favorite definition of leadership is by a man named Marshall Gans. He's at Harvard, and he defines a leader as someone who takes responsibility for enabling others to achieve a shared purpose in the face of uncertainty. Lord knows we have a lot of uncertainty <laughs> this day and age. So really taking that responsibility for figuring out how am I going to enable other people to move us all forward towards some kind of goal in uncertain times. And I think that a really strong leader is someone who takes that responsibility seriously, someone who knows how to leverage their gifts and their talents to that end. I think it's someone who people trust, so who kind of has clarity about their own truth and stands in their own integrity because so often we don't necessarily have the budget or the talent or the strategy to move us forward. Um, and all you really have to enable others is their belief and their faith in you as the leader. Uh, and I think that's where actually a lot of the problems that we have in society right now comes from is people in charge, but not demonstrating the kind of leadership that inspires people to really create that change that we need in the world. So, you know, that's what leadership means to me. That's certainly how I try to practice it. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And especially this aspect of uncertainty, as you mentioned, that really it's going places where somebody has never been, right, and lead you into that place. This is a common denominator I think we have everywhere in the world right now, that we lack those kind of leaders. And at the same time, I realize that, you know, we can't sit back and wait for some leaders. And we can also be the micro leaders we are in our environment and lead things forward. Absolutely. Mm. In terms of business, and if we see companies and businesses as an instrument for change, I mean, what, what, what long-term solutions for business do you actually believe in? I think that the future of business is in focusing on talent and recognizing that 
your talent are people with lives outside of work. I mean, one of the things that I was very struck by in interviewing so many women who applied to the crew were the number of women who said, you know, and 75% of the women who applied to the crew work full time in a company. And part of the reason why they said they were coming to the crew is because they wanted support advancing all of themselves. They said that they have access to professional development opportunities affiliated with their companies, with their businesses, but those opportunities were only focused on one slice of themselves. You know, they would say, Tiffany, Yes, I am an analyst, but I also love flowers and I want to become an Instagram influencer, you know, or, you know, yes, I'm an analyst, but I also have a mom with the diagnosis and I want support in figuring out how can I be a worker, but also how can I be a caregiver to her? You know, yes, I'm an analyst, but, you know, I also have a dog. I'm a pet enthusiast and I'd love to find out how I can integrate, you know, my love for dogs into my life as well. So it's kind of this idea that I feel like if companies, if businesses would recognize that people are not just what they bring, you know, to your environment, but that if you could create an environment in which everyone could bring all of themselves to the table, that you would be able to really tap into what motivates them and be able to harness their creativity and, you know, their talent in a really unique way. There's just an opportunity, I feel like, that's being lost there. Mm, absolutely. Like a blueprint, actually. But then they have to feel this complete trust for the organization in a way, or for the leadership for that matter. And if you feel that, uh, then you will open up to your colleagues and everybody else and feel like this is not only my job, this is part of my life and I want to include all of myself. Oh, absolutely. You know, I did a, a workshop. You know, every once in a while, somebody will say, can you come and do a drop the ball workshop? And I actually don't really like them. <laughs> in part because they're very heavily guided experiences. You know, as a workshop facilitator, you obviously have an agenda that you're driving people toward. And I prefer to just put insights out into the universe that anyone can do what they want to do with and interpret in a way that works for them. And I'll never forget doing this workshop for this company. And I had gone because I like to see what are they experiencing right before they come into the workshop with me. And so I had attended this keynote that their CFO did in which he was created to this PowerPoint all about um, how their company had achieved record results. And they had basically achieved these record results by reducing the headcount and also by reducing budgets, basically by reducing the resources that the company was using in order to drive these profits. And so um, my first question to everyone in the workshop after, you know, listening to this rah-rah keynote, and it was probably about 85 people in the room. My question was, how many of you are feeling overwhelmed right now? You know, raise your hand. And out of about 85 people, I'd say maybe five people raised their hand. And I was really confused because, of course, my whole workshop is about dropping the ball <laughs> and letting go. And most people, when I ask the question, you know, how many of you are overwhelmed, a lot more hands go up. So I felt like as a facilitator, I really needed to understand what was happening in the room. And so I just level set with everyone. And I said, wow, I said, I wasn't expecting so few of you to raise your hands in response to that question. I said, now, I just came from a keynote in which I learned that you have achieved record profits by reducing headcount and also by reducing resources, which means that all of you who used to may have, you know, one job now have two or three or even four jobs is basically what I got out of that keynote. And so 
I can't imagine why more of you would not be overwhelmed. And I'll never forget a woman who was sitting up close to me, says out loud, she doesn't say it loud enough for the entire room to hear, but she says it loud enough for me to hear. I don't think that people are going to be honest because, you know, we're at work. Exactly. (laughs) And I just... It just stopped me in my tracks because I thought, wow, so you've invited me in to support your talent with how to let go of unrealistic expectations, with how to drop the ball, with how to try to find some kind of balance, yet you've created this culture and environment where they can't even be honest about being overwhelmed. (laughs) And yet you're driving their performance in ways that are likely unsustainable and likely unhealthy. We've got to change this. This is no way to manage human capacity. Wow. And what was the end result of the workshop? I mean, did they conclude with some insights or did they just stick to their religion? No, I think that they did. You know, I had to pivot tremendously. I had to, I couldn't change the content, but I did have to pivot the pedagogy and the way in which I engaged with them. So for example, I didn't ask the room any big questions like that, right? (laughs) I asked people to turn to their neighbor and share in small groups in order to really manage that scenario. But, you know, for any business leaders who are listening, creating a culture where people can be honest and transparent, I think is paramount. And the only way we do that is by being vulnerable and transparent and honest ourselves as leaders. Definitely. But if you would assume that you have all doors open to you and all kinds of resources available, if you dream a little bit here, and what what would you then innovate or immediately change, you know, be it within your world, your sector or elsewhere? I would immediately put a lot more women in charge tomorrow, (laughs) if I could. I would basically create gender parity when it comes to leadership. Half of our corporate boards would be women. Half of CEOs in the Fortune 500, 100 would be women. Half of Congress would be women. I would basically ensure that society was benefiting from all of our talent and all of our resources in a really powerful way. And there's a lot of research that shows that when we have diverse leadership, that more innovation happens. And by the way, I would do it across the board. More people of color would be in leadership positions, more members of the LGBT community, more people with disabilities, more people that come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. I would diversify leadership in the most robust way possible. What immediate results do you think we would feel from such a change? I think the biggest result would be innovation. You know, I think we have a lot of really big, gigantic problems that we're having a very difficult time solving because we have the same people sitting around those big marble wooden tables with the plush leather chairs trying to solve for And I think the biggest breakthrough would be an innovation breakthrough in terms of new solutions to some of the most challenging problems that we have. Yeah, looking at it from a totally new, different perspective. And and if you would give some one, at least one key piece of advice to leaders, uh, what would it be apart from, of course, the, you know, being transparent and, and, and so on that we talked about before? Well, I would share something that my parents taught me, you know, through their courage, which is that if you want something you've never had before, you're going to have to do something you've never done before in order to get it. We can't achieve the same results by doing the same thing. So, you know, what are you doing today? What are you doing tomorrow that you've never done before in order to achieve a different result? Mm. That's so, so true. 
and so scary, I guess, because a lot of people, at least in our westernized world, we still live very much in a, in a kind of a comfort zone, right? So in order to take us out of the comfort zone and do something different, totally different, to achieve different results, we need to be either, you know, have to go there, there is no other option, or or come from a place that you described before, you know, coming from a place where you have such a strong purpose uh, so that you do it anyways. Absolutely. And what about um, like 15 years ago or whatever is relevant for you? If you were to give your advi advice to yourself back then, what would it be? I would have repeated over and over to myself the same thing that my mother used to tell me that I didn't listen to. I would have told myself, Tiffany, you're so smart and you're so beautiful and you're so loved. Hmm. And what, why didn't you at the time? Was it the environment or was it, is it the typical thing that we all have inside of us that we very often think that we're not enough? Oh, absolutely. And not having any appreciation for the power of the lens through which we see ourselves and how that has a tremendous impact on our ability to achieve results. Hmm. Is this something that you keep hearing from your work with the crew as well from other women? Oh, absolutely. And we work on it. Hmm. So what do you think is the one most important thing for companies to focus on right now, if there is like one common denominator? If I had to choose one, I would say, and if I could hone it down to even one word, it would be the word belonging. I would say that every human has a drive and a deep desire to belong. And I actually believe that a lot of the challenges that we have are a result of people feeling that they don't belong and trying to compensate for that through greed, through violence. And if there's one thing that any company that is driven by people as its enterprise can do, it's to create a culture and an environment in which every person who is a part of it belongs, feels that they belong. Mm. Is there a company um, that we might know of that um, would be a good example of this, that have managed to achieve this? Unfortunately, I can't think of one off the top of my head. And doesn't that say a lot? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would imagine that much smaller, nimbler organizations and companies, particularly startups, are doing this far better than the larger institutions are. You know, and I imagine that a lot of women-led companies are doing a much better job of this. But it remains to be seen whether or not it can become a movement. My just final question would be, it's really big, I know, but still, what do you think the world needs most at this time? Well, my answer to that would be the same thing <laughs> as what companies can do. I think the world needs more belonging. I think it needs more people who feel that they belong. And I think the world needs more women in leadership. Great. Thank you. Thank you so much, Tiffany. And uh, thanks for sharing everything. And for people who want to find out more about your work and so on, where do they head? They should go to findyourcrew.com and it's spelled C-R-U. So findyourcrew.com. Okay, great. And they will also find uh, links and show notes on uh, corporateunplugged.com slash podcast. So Tiffany, how was it to be on the podcast? Oh, it's great. You know, I always love the opportunity to talk about the things that I think will make the world a better place, <laughs> like treating people with humanity and advancing women's leadership. And certainly this is an important platform for really provoking and sparking ideas about how we can do that.
Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Acast, and also share this episode with your network and friends for impact. Share it with the people you know would benefit from hearing this. Thanks for listening. And until next time, live with purpose and remember to unplug. Ciao.